I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Uh, I'm excited because it is a return to a sports media roundtable discussion. It's been a couple weeks since uh, I've just been able to, uh, let's be blunt, shoot shit on sports media. And I'm very excited to have uh, two guests who are regulars on this podcast. Boston Globe sports media writer Chad Finn, the fine writer there as well as a general columnist. And Sports Business Journal's managing editor slash digital Austin Carp. They have been on this podcast many times before. You are familiar with their voices and words. Before we start, and before I get to uh, to chat in Austin, let me just go off the board and say this. I finished watching Andor the other day. Maybe Chad and Austin even want to get into this. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Who, who just said, who was that? You, all right, we're all we're in agreement. All agreement. Far and away, best short-lived Star Wars series. Actually, not even close. And I loved, I've liked all of them. You know, I know some people were down on uh, Boba Fett. I, I liked them all. Andor was phenomenal. It actually, I'll go to you, Austin. It actually makes me realize just how great Rogue One was. Mm-hmm. And I already think Rogue One is the second best Star Wars film. So I, I cannot thank the group who put that together enough. It was just every episode was phenomenal. And the last two episodes were over the top phenomenal. As good a as good a piece of Star Wars filmmaking as I've seen. Oh, so I loved it and I can't get enough of it and I can't wait till season. I can't two. wait. It's what the prequels should have been almost. It was gritty, it involved yeah. the series. It was for me, it was appointment TV. You know, for for some for the first time in a long time, that was appointment TV for me. Fantastic job by Disney though. Chad, you agree with that? Yeah, it's a little grittier than Star Wars. Uh, I, I think Rogue One's probably the best of the recent movies by pretty good margins. So um, great. To s- this has been a perfect lead. In. And uh, Andy Serkis, uh, ought to win an Emmy, Oscar, Grammy, oh, what, whatever. Amazing. Uh, he was phenomenal. Stellan, I'm probably going to, how do I pronounce Stellan's last name? Scar- Skarsgård. Skarsgård. Unbelievable. Some of the dialogue that he had. Also, I think it was you who just said this, Austin. Andor is so good. It, like, reminds you, I think Chad just brought this up too, just how absolutely shitty those early movies were with Anakin Skywalker. Like, those are, I would those should be burned. Like, that's how bad they are. Like, that's what the prequel should have been. I think you just said that, Chad, right? Or did Austin say that? That was Austin. Okay, Austin, you're totally correct. Like, imagine if you had that kind of dialogue, tone, mood in the first three prequels they would be thought of i think in sort of star wars lore as among the best of everything and now i feel like those three movies honestly like yeah i'll watch them if they're on in the same way i'll watch shawshank redemption if it's on tbs but like I, i'm never really excited about seeing any of those no. prequels no. i'll go back and i'll watch rogue one i'm not going to go back and watch those same same and now i actually yeah. now with andor concluding i like want to watch rogue one for like the 60th time because I feel like I might pick up some um, new spots. Also, I want to see, like, it's it's cool to see where you can see where sort of 
uh, Andor in its season two is going to lead into, and it's going to lead into, it almost feels like real time of the start of Rogue One. All right, anyway, if you don't like Star Wars, my apologies uh, uh, for that. <laughs> came uh, to the wrong place. Half, yeah. Too bad. Yeah, for that four and a half minutes, but whatever. You know, I'm get. I always get. You know, I'm getting criticism for too long. A question's totally fair. You know, criticism for this and this. Hey, I'll give you a little Star Wars. There's no, nothing wrong with that. All right, here's why I want to start. I want to start with the World Cup. Um, there's a lot to go with before I get to the viewership totals, um, which Fox obviously and Telemundo should be incredibly overjoyed. You know, these numbers coming in, particularly for the U S England game are through the roof. Chad, let me just start with you as a, the very, this is very open-ended. Sure. What have you thought of Fox's world cup coverage? Just the coverage overall. Um, yep. Well, I like John strong is still holding a lot. Um, I, I, I think they, uh, they don't hold back on criticism, maybe get a little bit too anticipatory of scoring chances that uh, don't materialize, but that's kind of soccer um, studio show. Uh, I like Rob Stone a lot. I think he's really good at the job and has been for a long time. Uh, Clint Dempsey tends to speak in cliches, but he's uh, he's kind of charismatic personality beyond that. And uh, Lawless is interesting because he's uh, very knowledgeable, doesn't shy away from criticizing the u.s but he he also has never really been able to turn off the smugness to uh, a total uh, completely to zero so uh but i think they got it right in general i think it's a, it's a pretty good group overall hmm. all right positive review from uh, chad uh austin your thoughts same question you know from the coverage that i've watched which i'll be honest has primarily been around the u.s teams i agree like watching clint dempsey it's almost like i'm i'm gritting my teeth like oh god like he just needs a little bit of work he needs some polish but knowing somebody that has that level of experience and has that level of expertise about the game in there i think was a smart move and i have felt the same way about alexi lawless as chad s like since his espn days like there's just still always going to be that know-it-all sense uh in the commentary that he gives and i've just accepted it for what it is uh, and <laughs> moved on yeah, I mean, I th- you know, Alexi likes being, I think, the 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 heel of the broadcast. He's the wrestling vernacular. He obviously likes being the contrarian. And, they, you know, if you have other people on the set, there's room for that. Uh, so I'll give you my – I agree with you on Strong and Holden. I, I, I think, actually, Fox's game coverage has been excellent. I, I, there's no broadcast team that I haven't enjoyed. I love the fact that I can hear Ian Dark's voice. On, yeah. uh, on this World Cup. I actually think Landon Donovan is a very talented guy to be able to go from the studio to the uh, to remote, and I think he's done a good job on both. I really like uh, Kelly Smith when she comes on, particularly doing England stuff. She's very good with tactics. My, um, you know, the studio shows on all the stuff, it's all going to be subjective. Like, I happen to love Kate Abdo. I think she and Rebecca Lowe are the two best soccer hosts. Rob Lowe's, uh, Rob Lowe, Rob Stone is fine. Rob Lowe would be an interesting hire. Rob Stone is fine. So, you know, he's he's certainly going to provide you with what you need as a studio host. But all that stuff is subjective. I'm with you guys on Clint Dempsey. Uh, um, you know, incredible soccer resume. Generally speaking, very cliche to me during um, during this coverage. A lot of we, too. And that, you know, to me as a broadcaster, I think once you can separate yourself a little bit from your previous team, it always is going to make you a better broadcaster where i think fox has to own it chad is i i think honest i'll just be blunt i think it's been disgraceful that they have not even given you the minimum when it comes to some of the stories that exist with these teams that go beyond the pitch whether that's the um 
Iranian team and the protests that are going on back in their country, whether that's FIFA's, you know, strong handedness when it comes to trying to shut those European teams down from doing any kind of um, statement to obviously just a lot of the stuff that um, exists in Qatar in terms of um, how that country sees women's rights and LGBTQ rights. Um, I think they've punted. I think it's been pretty disgraceful given the BBC, TSN, and many other networks around the world um, have not only um, done it, some of those networks have done it in full. I just don't think like doing a little bit of it like is going to hurt Fox at all. And I, you know, they, they I, they've been consistent. They said they weren't going to touch any of it, right. and they have been consistent. And they haven't. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. To me, as a rights holder, broadcaster, you owe it to your audience. I think at least to be a little more honest with them. But you know, this is probably the way you kiss FIFA's ass, right? And get and keep getting the uh, keep getting World Cups on your airwaves. Yeah, it makes me respect the way NBC handled Beijing a little bit more. Um, talking about it in the opening ceremonies and and at length. Uh, because I, at the time, I didn't think they did enough. And I kind of, you know, we had the discussion on the podcast a little bit about it. We did. Yeah. And, and you guys, I mean, you were right. It's, uh, uh, they handled it in a way that, um, I think was appropriate and you can understand given their investments, uh, and, the their, uh, NBC at the times desire to present the Olympics as, this unifying positive thing, uh, why they wouldn't do much, uh, much more as it went on. But I think they, they did do a, a very good job at the beginning. And uh, clearly that's much more than Fox ever intended to do. I mean, you talk, you talk, you had the story, you talked to David Neal about it and uh, yeah. basically said, Nope, we're not doing it. This is about soccer and soccer only. And yeah, I didn't know if that would hold up to, things happening, uh, protests and, and matters like that happening during the, the, uh, the world cup. And, uh, uh, apparently it's going to be the case where they're not going to touch on anything and can't say I'm surprised. It's kind of the way the Fox hand way Fox handles everything, but it's not good. Yeah. Also, I'll let you in on this. I will say this, and it's important to point out one thing while I fundamentally disagree with Fox's editorial decision here, I appreciate David Neal making himself available. Yeah, most don't. That is something I don't. Yep. I don't take that for, for granted. Like, he owned. He at least owned it, and he put it on the record. And I have a good relationship with him. I think he thinks I'm fair. Um, that's at least my. You know, you'd have to ask him, but I. I feel like that's probably a fair statement on my part. So he didn't have to talk to me, and he he put it on the record, and I appreciate that. You know, you can have a difference of a, of a of an opinion there. I, I think Austin to me like the. You watch you watch the coverage and you see it's sponsored by Qatar Airlines. Mm-hmm. You watch the coverage and you see a lot of the feels like infomercialing of of Qatar. And like I just feel like if you do that, like you can give a little bit I don't even know if the other side is the right way to phrase it, but if you give a little bit proportionally of the underbelly of this stuff, they're not gonna kick you out of the country. Like you're gonna be able to do it. You're Fox. Like yeah. you have so much leverage here. But um but that's not going to be the case, and um, and uh, you know, since you're our viewership expert, Austin, and one of the viewership experts in the country, like if you're David Neal, you can point to the fact that like the U.S. England match drew 15.4 million viewers on Fox, right? You can point to the U.S. numbers and some of these other numbers, and like that's a great argument. You, you basically, like, hey, viewers are coming here if they 
If they hated our coverage so much, why are we pulling those kind of numbers in? And if you're Fox, you got to be overjoyed by the numbers you're pulling in. The same with Telemundo. Well, you know, there's a couple of points there. I will agree. Fox has stuck their guns. They said what they were going to do, and they continue yeah. to do it. Um, I will agree it is nowhere near, I don't think, what NBC gave us with the Olympics. Uh, obviously, there are differences in strategies editorially and news departments there between NBC News, NBC Sports, Fox and Fox Sports and Fox News. I'm sure the relationships are a little bit different. But yeah, I mean, this is, this is a huge number. And, you know, like you said, Richard, I mean, I don't know what the crossover is between like, you know, I don't think you're going to get a lot of, uh, you know, shut up and kick the ball uh, if you start talking about geopolitical issues during some of the coverage. I, I just think it's a little different audience. It's not American football, it's soccer. So I just think it's a different demographic audience there. Uh, you're also mentioned like those ads are, it, it's much more in your face than it is during the Olympics. Like you are exactly. cutter airways promoted pretty much the, you know, on those rotating boards, the entire game. So yeah, it is up in your face that, you know, that, that how much cutter is backing these games economically. And uh, I think that could have been counterbalanced a little bit with uh, some discussion, whether studio or not, or of the geopolitical implications of what's going on outside the pitch. We'll, we'll get, we'll, we're going to move on to Ohio State, Michigan in a second. Another Fox uh, uh, property and that obviously did well. Here's the one thing I would say, Chad. Like, Austin brings up the sort of whole, like, you know, uh, shut up and dribble, basically. Like, you know, networks making decisions that they don't want to put uh, – uh, any kind of politics into their sports coverage. It's always been a canard and kind of BS. Like sports is inevitably linked in with politics and social justice and economics. It, it's a it's a podcast for another day. But here's what I would say, Austin. If you can't do that with Iran, like in terms of like <laughs> the American audience, like what viewer is going to penalize you none. for discussing the Iranian regime? Like literally none. Like in this case, like there's no downside. It's you're not talking about the Democrats versus the Republicans. No. You're you're not even talking about an, an American ally. Like in this case, like there's no downside. No, but I think if you're David Neal, any slope is a slippery slope in this sense. Once you've made that call, yeah, no, you're yeah. right. That is yeah. that is you're right, Austin. Yeah. That is what he would say. Why do you talk about this but not that? Yeah, yeah, and that will be his argument. And I think in that sense, they have been consistent. They have not gone down that road with the exception of very, very, um, I would say, sort of mild commentary from their game broadcasters who might note if the like the Iranian players are not um, singing the national anthem or something like that. And by the way, I cannot tell you how much respect I have for those Iranian players. That's true courage because what those players are going to face back home, I, I can't even imagine it. Like, you know, that – you know, it's one thing to put an armband on if you're like, you know, the captain of the German or the England team. It's another thing to 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 make that kind of statement uh, with that kind of regime. So, um, immense respect for the Iranian players. All right, also, I'm gonna go. We're, there's no really happy segue here, but I, but I'm gonna make it to Michigan, Ohio State. Um, this man is just once again the culmination of Fox's strategy when it comes to moving these games, mega games, to noon. They have the best game of the year when it comes to the Big Ten. They always have Michigan-Ohio State because they get the first pick. They have made that thing such a happening. you know. And shout-out to Mike Mulvihill, their director of strategy and content uh, analytics for game-changing um, everything by, giving, by, by, by putting great games in that noon window for Fox. 17 million viewers for Michigan-Ohio State, Austin, on a day that had some significant World Cup games, including Argentina-Mexico. That's an incredible number. I mean, that is just lights out great and um 
It just, you know, Michigan, Ohio State to me has become an NFL game, basically. That's how I look at it now. It is. It's the most, it'll be the most watched college football game again. It's the best college football game since Alabama LSU moved to primetime for the first time back in 2011. So, I mean, it's a pretty significant watershed moment there for that game back in 2011. But this is, this is the huge game. This is Giants-Cowboys in the NFL parlance. It's that big game that's going to bring that big number regardless of, of where it is. And like you said, not only did it have World Cup competition, but it, had, it was rivalry weekend on college football. Like Georgia was airing at the same time. And that, you know, if Georgia loses that game, they, they, they weren't going to lose that game <laughs> to my Yellow Jackets. But I was watching the Georgia-Georgia Tech game like I'm sure a lot of Georgia fans were. This wasn't the only game on, like a 4.30 p.m. window in the NFL. There was a lot of competition. People, if you were waiting for Alabama LSU, maybe you weren't watching this game. Maybe you were doing something in that noon window, you know, working around the house before you had to watch it at 3.30. My point is that, yeah, there was a lot of competition. And to see them pull 17 million viewers, I thought it would be a little higher, but I think the score had something to do with that. Obviously, Michigan was in control a lot. Uh, I was expecting closer to 20 million, but – Nothing, no slouch there with 17. Safe. Yeah, what, Chad, what about you guys' thoughts on this? I, I'm appreciative of the start time as somebody who had a 1230 deadline for the uh, Thursday night Thanksgiving Patriots uh, Vikings game, <laughs> 1230 a.m. that is. I mean, you, you when you have an anticipated game like this that you know is going to get massive viewership numbers, uh, more and more you appreciate those early start times. I mean, you reference Giants-Cowboys. It's the 430 window, the 425 window, always um, put Dallas in there, rack up a huge number. It's always been the case. And uh, so sacrificing, uh, I feel like uh, Fox sacrifices a little bit um, in terms of primetime revenue they might make uh, by putting these games in that afternoon window. But it's a uh, tremendous benefit to the viewership. And uh, I, I'm appreciative of it because uh, you don't get a lot of those kind of games at that time anymore. Yeah. You know, I, I, I know this sounds very weird, Austin, to think that there's like that Fox may have lost some viewers from the world cup uh, coverage, but I think they might've like, you know, like the, the reality, you know, this better than anybody, like the Mexican national team is a massive draw yeah. in, in the United States. And so, you know, who's to say that, like, they, they they couldn't have got maybe a million, a million and a half more if there's no other World's Cup game on. So I, I again, maybe you're not going to get Michigan-Ohio State next year, like, you know, 2-3 or 1-3 or 1-4. But if you do, I don't think it's crazy that that game gets 20 million. I think it's very possible. No, I think Mexico draws a, a very noticeable amount of an audience, enough to, yeah, dilute this number just enough so it's under 20. All right, let's move. And speaking of massive numbers, the these numbers on Thanksgiving were just like insane. Yeah. Uh, Giants Cowboys drew um, forty two million on Fox. That is a, my most watched regular season game uh, on record. Essentially, Austin, if you go back yeah. to nineteen eighty eight, like the, the modern era, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, since they started doing viewership for regular season games back in like yeah, like eighty eight, it tops a Giants. 49ers Monday night football game on ABC in 1990 for the best regular season NFL game ever. And man, like, I mean, Mike, Mul like you talked about Mike Mulvihill earlier. He had, a, he had a, a tweet where he just brought about, brought up like how good of a, a decision just the NFL made in having Thanksgiving games. And this is just like the culmination of just 
years of pounding it into the American zeitgeist. Like this is football day. Okay. And 42 million people watch the game. <laughs> incredible. Incredible. So let, let me get this and I'll go to chat. CBS draws 31.6 million <laughs> Bills Lions. That's the NFL's best early Thanksgiving game on record. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's incredible. And then in primetime, NBC draws 25.9 million viewers for the Vikings-Patriots, actually, which is a pretty um, exciting game. Second best primetime Thanksgiving audience since 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, per Austin's uh, stats here, NFL averages 33.5 million viewers. Best Thanksgiving Day average for the league. So, Chad, I'm going to go to you, and then, Austin, I do want you to follow. Wow. So, Chad, do you think the NFL sees all that, and do they like try? I, I don't know. Like the Cowboys, we know are going to play on Thanksgiving, no matter what. But is there something like the NFL can learn from this? Like, do you? I don't know. Do you put the Cowboys versus the Giants? Like, no matter what, to get the New York audience, um, they're so wedded to the Lions, I guess. Uh, yeah. Do you have? Do you, do you make sure that you go Lions Chiefs or Lions Bills again? Like, I'm wondering, like, what can the NFL do to try to at least guarantee some of this? next year because these are insane viewership numbers. What would Lions Jaguars get? Or Lions Texans? <laughs> I mean Yeah. Probably right. <laughs> still uh it would still get over twenty million, yeah. but maybe not much over twenty right. million. Right. More than that US uh US England soccer game, which is crazy. But um I don't know. I mean Dallas is a draw and the Lions traditionally aren't, but they've uh, they've both always been the traditions on this day. I've always wondered if uh, if they decided to pull the Lions because they're kind of historically inept for the most part, whether there would be a backlash to that outside of Detroit, whether that's an ingrained tradition with people who don't care about that football team. I tend to think it is. Um, I I like having the Lions on Thanksgiving. It's probably the only time I see them during the year, unless they're uh, one of the one in 10 years where they're good or, you know, they play up here against the Patriots uh, as they did this year. Um, But, uh, I, I think they could probably uh, plug just about anybody in there. And uh, because of the tradition of the day and how ingrained the National Football League is with Thanksgiving at this point, that it's going to be a huge audience. Austin, would you try to um, would you try to juice it up and do like Cowboys, Packers, Steelers, uh, make this up, Chiefs or Bills, depending on who you feel like is the best team, uh, you know, Patriots. Mm-hmm. Like, would you try to go – six big teams and just go nuts and try to really like go crazy on the record? Or do you throw in a lion somewhere or throw in a, a team that's not a traditional viewership team with, because you know, you're going to get good numbers regardless on the day. I don't think you're going to see Cowboys giants for a while. Like I think this season in particular, I mean, you had Cowboys giants on Thanksgiving. Another one, one of them was Monday night football. So no Sunday afternoon, no Sunday night ability to have Cowboys giants. I think NBC and, and Fox on, on a Sunday is going to want to crack at that in the future. I, I don't think the Giants have played the Cowboys on Thanksgiving since the early 90s or something like that. So what can they do on Thanksgiving? I think you just stay the course. I think you keep the Lions. I think it's – honestly, I think it's good to have the talk every year. Oh, the Lions don't belong. I think it's just good for the NFL to have that. But Good point. What, what, yeah, what has enabled the NFL to do, though, it's created this attitude. It's created this sense of manifest destiny. Like, we're not staying on Thanksgiving alone. We're going to take on Black Friday. We can own that. We're going to take on Christmas Day. I don't care that the NBA has five games. We're going to put some games in there because we can own it all. So, Chad, uh, this is from uh, Austin's colleague, Ben Fisher. He writes the, you know, talks about the business case for adding a Black Friday game is obvious, is pretty 
obvious, but he writes, next year's debut will be something of an inflection point when it comes to the league's relationship with the grassroots. It will instantly become the league's most substantial scheduling conflict with high school football. That game will be early, I believe, uh, the Black Friday game at 3 p.m., so it's not going to be a Friday night game. But this is really going to be interesting next year because um, we're going to get Friday football. I, I think the viewership is going to be excellent. And I'll I'll, I don't, I, first of all, I don't think the NFL is going to get any kind of backlash for this with high schools. Maybe I'm wrong, but how do you see this? Um, you know, you're in an area, Boston, right? Yeah. Where Black Friday, isn't that a very big day for, uh, for high school um, football? Do you, I don't know, does the NFL get any kind of backlash for this? Or are just people going to be excited because on like Friday, they're probably not working after Thanksgiving. They're like, oh, this is awesome. I get to watch uh, the NFL at 3 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, it's huge here. Uh, Bruins also are uh, traditionally playing that day. A little bit of a oh, yeah, thing, right. thing up here. And uh, I I don't know how well a mid-level NFL game would register. Um, I don't think it would get the, the numbers that, uh, uh, say, uh, 1 p.m. Dolphins-Jets game would get in New England on a regular Sunday, but uh, it's the NFL, and people are going to watch it, and uh, I, I think it probably, in the different communities, depends on what time those Thanksgiving games are, but uh, I don't think there's going to be too much backlash toward the NFL for giving people another game on a day of the week that they don't usually have one. They're they're going to uh, they're, 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 they're be pretty appreciative of that in general, I think. This game, isn't it supposed to be, or it, it may be on Amazon, so you're not aiming for... Yeah, you know, it will be on Amazon. Yeah, so it's yeah. not going to be, a, you know, any sort of record-setting audience, but whatever it is, it could even, it could be Dolphins-Jags, and I think it would do better than what they did for Chiefs-Chargers for their first Thursday night football game this season. Really? You So that's, I mean, that's, if, I, if my memory serves right, what was that, 15 or 16? I million? think it would do better than that, Absolutely. Wow, interesting. that's interesting. Huh. That's an interesting prediction. Let's follow that away somewhere. Um, you do have the fact that you have a ton of people home, for sure. Uh, yes, Black Friday, obviously traditional shopping day, but uh, but that's changed a little bit, obviously, in the last couple of uh, you know five years or so. Obviously, it's much more of. Do a, you think they'll get a good cyber day, game? Like, I think Amazon's going to push them. I mean, I think they will. Actually, know what I think about it. Amazon, they really they took care of Amazon at the beginning of the year, right? Chief they wanted charges, to get their partner yeah. off to a great start. Yes. Chief Chargers. And I think they're gonna they're very smart at the NFL office. I think they're gonna want to get Black Friday off to a great start. Mm -hmm. And I think they're gonna get a good game. That's my thought here. I mean, why you know it, it, it takes away a little bit of the cachet if it's uh Jags Texans, right? But it's pretty sexy if it's like a a couple of good teams. You may actually be like, hmm. I may check this Black Friday thing out. This may become like a regular thing for me. But not like Dallas Giants. They, they'd get like... Uh, uh, I don't think it would be that. Maybe. Than, you know, maybe you, maybe you put somebody like the Chiefs, Bills in there. Maybe it's something like that. Or yeah. Something where you know it's going to be star power, quarterback power, fantasy implications. Something people need to tune into. How about... Uh, Mike White and the Dallas Jets? Packers. Yeah. <laughs> All right, this is good. This is a good segue into Amazon, okay? Um, I don't know if this was... This might have been Anthony Krupe. It might have been Austin Karp. I feel like I've credited both of you two, so it has to be one of you. But I, I saw that um, for the last Amazon Thursday Night Football game, they uh, this must be Krupe. They averaged 
million adults 18 to 34, which is a really, really good number. They have gotten a ton of um, a ton of audience in that 18 to 34 uh, market compared to their competitors. The median age of Thursday Night Football, at least from what Amazon and Nielsen are telling us, is four, it's been 46 years old. That's huh. that's down from Fox's 54 a year ago. You may think 46 is old, but in television terms for sports, it is not. It is young. Uh, so Austin, uh, you know, Amazon's not going to hit the number that I think that they promised advertisers, right? But they do have some stories here to tell demographically, which are pretty good. And I think the best story that they have to tell personally is the age yeah, of their And they've been harping on that, that you see in every one of their releases that come out week after week, you know, we are X number of years younger than the average linear TV NFL audience, whether it's Fox, you know, across Fox, NBC, ESPN, CBS. And they're going to continue, like you said, to lean on that. Um, it's because, you know, people in that demo are checking the Amazon app maybe more frequently than people that are, you know, scrolling through TV in an older demo. But it also means, I mean, yeah, the audience numbers are not there. They're, they're not, they're not there. They're not, I don't think they're going to be close to what was promised. Um, there's, I guess, room for growth, but, uh, you know, if you don't, if you're not, if you're on even YouTube TV, you're not gonna, you're, you don't notice that the game is on. It's not on your list of, of available games. It's not on your programming channel. It's, you have to remember almost that Thursday night football is on. There's no like, Oh yeah, the game is on. I see it there. Uh, I can flip that on there. there it, it's not, it's not there yet. It, it's just not there. Do you consider on a viewership perspective, Austin, would you consider it a successful year, a uh, neutral, Working like progress. would you say positive, neutral, or negative in terms of like when the viewership numbers finally come in and they will not be what they, they will not be what they ultimately promised yeah. advertisers. Is that 10 million? We, you know, we, we agree on that. Uh, only what, five games have topped 10 million viewers, including this last one, the Titans Packers. Uh, so, you know, if they were promising what, what was it? Um, I can't even remember what the number was at this point, but. I, uh, keep talking. Uh, and I'll it was, look it uh, it's going to be somewhere in between negative and neutral for me. They didn't get the numbers that everyone was expecting. Um, I think the production has been good. I like the experimentation, but man, they got to, they got to figure out a way to grow that audience number. I don't know if it's through a better package of games. You do have a Cowboys game coming up late in the season, Cowboys Titans on uh, December 29th. That's that right. may top the Chargers Chiefs game from earlier in the season. We'll see. I mean, that's a, that's a big game. Uh, Raiders Ram, well, Raiders Rams is not <laughs> what it was when the season started per se. Um, you got Bill's Patriots <laughs> coming up here uh, this week. So that could be a decent number, but uh, yeah, I think there's a, I think there's room for growth on the audience size that they have to figure out how to really tap into <laughs> that, that older demo that likes to watch any football. Magic of uh, Google here. So Amazon promised advertisers an audience of 12.5 million viewers. Wow. You know, I guess the pe let's wait for the Cowboys game, but it's going to be hard, I think, to to hit that. They, you know, I Never think maybe if you're them right now, think you're about what you're giving for, up. You gave up 16 yeah. million viewers you're averaging last season on Fox and NFL Network. I know, but but you know, if if, if I'm the NFL, I, I got to take money from Amazon for a long in, time. In right? I get that. Yeah. But the everyone else, all the linear TV partners are having strong seasons. Like you, you saw it on Thanksgiving, but it's yes. been almost week after week. Like, you know, we're performing well. We're matching last season's 
incredibly strong numbers. And, you know, at the end of the season, if you say the NFL is down compared to last season, the only reason will be is because you switched from, yeah, is because, because you switched Amazon. to Amazon. But, but here, uh, Chad, I'll go to you in a second. But, I mean, th- don't you think the NFL was like, we're, we're giving up, we yeah. know we're giving up reach in exchange for this paycheck from Amazon and, a, and a, you know, this long-term partnership for what we think is the future. Uh, the NFL is very, very good also at spinning yeah. numbers, so they probably can, you know, avoid the, uh, you know, they'll avoid, like, if the number is down this year, like, overall viewership uh, from last year. But, Chad, I mean, I think, you know, I think if you – if you were to ask Brian Rollop or, or Roger Goodell um, or whomever, I think they more than anything else wanted a professional production mm-hmm. on Amazon, right? They wanted it to look like the NFL, and I think they got that. So I think to me, you know, the check's already cashed from Bezos. Like I feel like they're they'll be fine if Amazon takes them down for regular season viewership, which, as Austin correctly says, they actually may end up doing that. Yeah, I, I think it's probably calculated in there that. Uh they knew 12.5 million promise or not that they knew it was going to be down at least a little bit. And it was something that they had to endure this year to, to build up the streaming service. You know, it's, it's interesting. You talk about the younger demo that they get there in 18 to 39 and uh, um, how it, uh, how it trends younger than, than the, the regular broadcast networks. Uh, we have Bill's Patriots this week, and I've spent uh, portions of every day reminding emailers that the game in the local markets is on uh, Fox as well, because uh, there are a lot of people, and they, uh, they tend to trend older, that still are perplexed by streaming or uh, find it a nuisance right. jumping around or that sort of thing. And I, I, I would like to see their numbers in their local markets uh, for what they're getting, because I think that I think that demographic is probably much older. And if I, I might be mistaken. I'm not sure they're doing that next year. Right. Uh, is It's going to be strictly Amazon after this one year. I think I heard that somewhere. With well, the uh, well, first of all, if you're Al Michaels, get on the horn with your agent. You're bringing a younger audience and renegotiate that contract. dude. You're the uh, perhaps you're the reason <laughs> um, why. Um, one last thing, Chad, I'm going to. Yeah, I'm going to go to, well, let's get to Herbst, G. I'm going to go to you. Uh, and no doubt the Amazon, the, the, the armada of Amazon sports PR people are listening to this. Alana Russo uh, heading that ship, although she absolutely loves the Wall Street Journal and the Hollywood Trades and the New York Post. So we'll see if she's listening to this podcast. But so here's the thing on Herb Street and Michaels, uh, Chad, because you brought this up to me and I, I started paying a little bit more attention to Herb Street on Amazon's coverage. And Al is great. I mean, the guy, remains you know top line greatest in my opinion nfl play-by-play announcer agree 100 percent. as good as and as good as it gets still uh doing his job it's not that i think herb street is a bad analyst at all he's always prepared uh, i absolutely have no doubt the guy loves football it's just that i don't know i when i'm watching herb street in college football i feel like i'm really being educated as a viewer and i feel like you know, like this guy is like He's on it. He's on everything. And with Amazon, it doesn't feel like that for me. It just – I don't know how to say this without being pejorative, but I guess it's going to be pejorative. He just sounds like another guy. <laughs> it's like I'm listening to like Trent Green or whoever the fourth analyst is at CBS. Adam Archuleta? Um, I think 
Yeah, and and by the way, I think if you're Kirk, you're not going to go in your first year. You're not going to be blasting the league, right? You're not going to be taking controversial positions. I get that. Maybe some of that's political. Maybe some of that's not. But um, I don't know. I'll be curious. I I, I don't want to. I don't want to totally crap on him because I do think there is a bit of a learning curve, and and I think he's a different analyst. You know, three years from now, he's got a five year deal than um than this year. But I don't know, Chad. Am I? Because you're the one who brought this up to me, and I started sort of listening maybe a little bit closer. And again, I, I, it's not that he's bad at all. He's certainly not bad. He's he's an excellent uh, television person. It's just that, I don't know. I don't find him distinct on those broadcasts. Maybe that's the best way I could say it. No, I I, I, I find myself wondering if he's just more passionate about college football. Um, he's not bad by any stretch, but I don't think the – enthusiasm is at the level that you thought it was going to be. It's kind of uh, even keel, uh, matter of fact, when he explains things and uh, just seems a little bit more eager on the, on the, on the college football broadcast. I don't think it's because of who he's working with. I don't think it's Al. Uh, I don't think Chris Fowler, as good as he is, brings that out of him. It just seems like, um, Seems like there's a little bit more uh, energy there with him when he's doing college football than it is uh, when he's doing the NFL. Now, by the way, give a, I'll give a shout to Kaylee Hartung, I think, who's been excellent. And again, the broadcast itself, no surprise with, uh, um, you know, with Goodelli and company behind the scenes. You knew that was going to be good and has been. Do you have any, Austin, did you want to add anything to this in terms of uh, forget about the viewership, but just sort of a- Amazon's presentation that we're talking about? Yeah, I mean, I've watched a couple of games. I, you know, outside of the A-list analysts that you would have had, like an Aikman, a Collinsworth, or a Romo, I think it was an incredibly good decision to bring on Herbie. Of course, he's going to be better on the college side with 20-plus years experience, whatever it is there. But I like that there's room for growth with somebody that is so well-known and so overall just incredibly polished as an analyst. And I am looking forward to see him get – better and i think he's going to want to get better because he will work yeah yeah work he'll work at it he's always struck me as uh, somebody who is going to do the work to be the best at his craft Uh, i haven't been bothered at all like you guys said it's it's been it's been okay and but nothing's bothered me but you know he's not aikman yet uh, on the nfl side but i i think there's i think it's it's positive for amazon on that long term okay Uh, good i appreciate you adding your thoughts to that also it's a good a little bit of a good counterbalance to uh to what Chad and I said, I had no doubt about that. I mean, the one thing that you can never uh, question Herb Street is uh, like work ethic. The guy just puts his head down and goes about his job, doesn't complain, nor should he complain. I mean, these are dream. He's got three lottery ticket jobs, and so. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but again, um, has gotten a lot of praise in the business, and I, I think many times deservedly so. All right, a couple more here before we end this, um, Chad. What do you think of the Manning cast this year? I, I admittedly, I haven't seen a ton of it. Um, I'm usually watching the regular, uh, you know, the main broadcast from what I've seen still like incredibly entertaining, fun to watch. I think this is sort of inevitable though. And that is like the second year of something like this, the, the, the buzz is never going to be as high as it was the first year. And I predicted the beginning of the year viewership would be down. And I believe it will be from last year. And I don't think that has anything to do with Peyton and Eli Manning or the production, I just think when it comes to these alternative broadcasts, we also saw this with the coaches' film room for the college football playoffs. I, I just think like the the newness of the alternative broadcast is usually year one, and then after that, it still may be cool, but it's just not as like it's not as like uh, I don't know revolutionary or it's not as must see TV to me. 
Yeah, I mean, it happens. I'll take it over the K Rod broadcast. Uh, <laughs> Amen. For sure. Amen. Ouch. Michael K yeah. taking a shot. <laughs> I actually think uh, I think Eli's even better this year. He's he's uh, there's kind of an endearing awkwardness about him anyway. Peyton's so polished. Chad, uh, what mean, was Pey- Chad? Peyton. What was the the thing that he went viral with? Chad Chad Myers. What was his like? Chad Powell. Chad Powell. Oh, yeah. There you go. Right. Yeah, it was really well done. Um, but uh, his second year, there's uh, naturally not that uh, as much buzz around or curiosity about it. And I think the other factor is they, they've got a higher profile broadcast team on the, the regular broadcast mm-hmm. now with uh, you know, Buck Aikman as uh, well-known and uh, synonymous with high-level NFL football as, as any broadcast team there is. And I liked Steve Levy. I really liked Lewis Riddick um, and Brian Greasy uh, and Riddick kind of developed a pretty good uh, connection as that went on, but it just uh, didn't have the star power that this one did, the gravitas that this, this one did. And I, I think the, the, the main broadcast uh, probably is a little bit more interesting to, to NFL fans than it was a year ago. Yeah. Also, do you, I mean, I, I don't know, like, do you think like, uh, I don't feel like the issue is guests, right? I mean, like they get gigantic guests. I mean, they, you know, they had Obama, they've had mega, mega people. I, I, I think if you're ESPN, and I imagine if you're the Mannings, I think you just satis- you should just be satisfied having it because it's an excellent broadcast. And like whatever number it brings in, it brings in. So if like next year it's a million one, you know, down from its high of like a million four, a million five, like so what? It's still good additive broadcasting for your company. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, they're probably getting somewhere in the 1.3, 1.4 million range. That's a good business. That's an incredibly good business to have for a Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> if- <laughs> so, yeah, I think you couple that with everything that ESPN is giving them reign to do as far as the ESPN Plus shoulder programming and the original programming and the fact that they get, like, they have control here, you know, through Omaha and they get to kind of call the shots as the head of that. It's the Manning cast. It's not, they're not part of somebody else's brand. They've created their own there. And I think they enjoy the flexibility that ESPN gave them with that. I totally agree that Eli Manning is kind of coming into his own a little bit this season. But, uh, you know, it's just like anything else. It was really shiny and new first year. So you were going to get a really strong number. But it hasn't, I mean, this isn't like the XFL falling off the cliff where, if, you know, you were getting a million pounds. <laughs> now you're averaging K-Rod numbers. No, no it, it's still respectable for sure. Yeah, and again, you are right. Like you, you, you got a you got a show that does on a sports channel that does a million three, a million four, a million two. I mean, that is a major business. Imagine if you were if, if you were the producer of a debate show that mm-hmm. drew those kind of numbers. I mean, you know, they'd be the, Jimmy Pitaro and Norby Williamson. They'd be feeding you grapes naked, like from I your. I don't your know your who mouth. you bring on to spike the viewership. Uh, maybe it's like a Ron DeSantis. I mean, the guy's an athlete. He probably talks sports. I don't know. Is it that kind of guy that spikes it? I don't know. Well, um, I'd have to look at the number for Obama. I, my sense is that politicians uh, don't spike it. That's just a guess. I, I mean, I guess if you had someone who's a very, very controversial politician or a, a politician who like declared that week to run for president, maybe. Um, that's, a, that's the I, – I think I, – I, this is just my guess, Austin. I think the number may spike more if you had a player who's currently playing and then you brought him on like Brady talking to Manning or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's for well, the if you're smart, sport, you, yeah, go you're Odell Beckham, right? If you're smart, you go on a program like that and hey, yes. you have your, I'm taking my talents to Dallas on the Manning cast. Like, I like that thinking. 
I agree with uh, you. That is one where, like, if he does a LeBron, uh, um, <laughs> you know, decision, basically, the decision, yeah. like, I'm with you. That is how you could, I think, get a couple hundred thousand extra to the uh, Manning broadcast. All right, let's finish up. Chad, I'm going to go to you. Uh, it is uh, Monday. We're taping this Monday, November 28th, um, 2022. I have no large-scale predictions for Twitter. There's there's enough people out there who covered the tech space, who have covered Elon Musk for a long time, who will have better um, informed commentary than myself. The only prediction I would make, and again, the prediction certainly that could be wrong. If you were asking me today, I would predict Elon Musk will not be the owner of Twitter in 2024. That is just a guess. Now, some might also tell me that's a bad guess because he's going to want to be have an impact on the 2024 presidential election. So maybe so. Maybe I should be safer and say 2025. But that'd be the only thing I'm going to guess is uh, is eventually he will not be the owner of it. I don't think it's going to go away. Um, I think it will exist heading forward. What I don't know, and this is where I want to get to you, Chad, sports Twitter has been such a massive part of like what that is. It's been obviously a massive, massive a massive importance to people like myself and you and Austin who work in the sports media. Um, it absolutely has. I wouldn't know you guys without it. it uh, I mean, I try to be That's honest fair. with the audience. It absolutely, it, it, it literally has brought me a lot of money because there is no doubt that the, <laughs> there's just no doubt that the athletic was interested in my Twitter feed. In addition to me, when I negotiated with them in 2018, like that's just sure. Just being honest, like you know, I think yeah, they probably might have hired me for whatever skill they think I have or don't have, but like that was a factor in like the negotiations. It just was. And if you're Wojnarowski or Shams uh, or uh, Schefter, you know, people at these crazy ass levels, yeah. that has that is worth multiple millions of dollars to you. Like so, oh. that's sort of the background of this. That said, Chad. Um, if you had to guess over the next year or so, do you think Twitter remains sort of the hub for the sports media as it's been? Or do you think we start to see some of that splinter off to what inevitably will be some of these um, places that are going to try to become a, a new version of Twitter, a, a competitor to Musk? Yeah, well, I don't think the new version of Twitter is out there yet. Uh, you know, people... You see people migrating to Mastodon, uh, to the, what is it? The post yeah, post post news or whatever. Uh, right. Yeah. But you're not going to replicate at least early and probably at all. Um, the relation kind of the relationships, the following that you've built, the same people that you interact with. I mean, I really like Twitter you know, I block a ton of people because I want it to, to shape it to being what I want it to be which is a good experience. But you think about it. I've, there so many people I've read that I would never have seen before. Like Bruce, Bruce Arthur, I probably never would have run a call, read a column. Yeah, of Toronto Star columnist. Yep. Yeah. Um, you use it for work. I mean, I, I make uh, in my DMs, I set up interviews all the Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Th- uh, things like that. And just interacting with people uh, that you enjoy interacting with I, I really have a hard time believing that that's going to be replicated elsewhere because you got to build the whole thing up again but it already feels different to me i don't know if it's going to be gone completely or changed completely but it feels like more bots and less of the people that i want to see in my timeline and um i don't know if there's a tipping point with that where you just say the hell with it i, I don't want to deal with this anymore but uh, I feel like we're going to get to the point where there are outages, things like that, and uh, 
you might see some more migration to the other sites, but that it, it, it's not going to be duplicated. It's just the, it's, it's too difficult and it's been built up over a dozen, 13, 14 years here for a lot of people. I agree. Okay, I will get to you also in a second. Can't be duplicated. I'm with you on that. Um, if, if it splinters, it splinters. And by the way, uh, yeah, we're doing a little navel gazing, but it's an important navel gazing topic. I'm sorry, laser. We're going to continue to talk about this. Um, I, like Austin, I'm about it. yeah, Austin, like Chad, um, mm-hmm. I, there are just so many people who I have read in sports that I would have never, ever come across. Yeah. I think Twitter's been incredibly valuable when it comes to writers of color, um, women writers who who would not have gotten the push without um, a place like Twitter. So I, it's really, really valuable and really important. That said, it does feel different, or it has felt different um, in the last couple of weeks. I mean, you know. Uh, I guess it's always in some way a hellscape and a shit show, but it's kind of been a unique hellscape and shit show in the last uh, couple of weeks. And so um, where do you stand on this? I mean, again, you work at a place. Mm -hmm. um, Twitter's incredibly important. You know, I see sports business journal links all the time. Like you have writers like somebody like Michael Smith. Uh, I mean, I do read them at the, at, at SBJ, but I would have never like that guy is awesome. And I would have never known how awesome he has if I didn't see a lot of his Twitter links. So it's, it's been an incredible, valuable service. I mean, I, I can speak for me personally. It's been in one of the most valuable tools I've had, you know, a, as a professional here, like Chad mentioned, creating professional relationships. Uh, I, I've developed, I can't even count how many of those just by having the interaction, somebody asking me a, a question off of a tweet, like, well, what does this mean? And that leads to, you know, DMs like, Hey, you know, can we talk further about this? Whether it's somebody you know in the media or just in the overall sports business, um, it has been just an incredible tool. Uh, I, I see a little bit of that developing on LinkedIn, but the communities are just different. That's an insular community amongst you know your contacts, your professional relationships. But if you're in journalism and you're trying to be forward facing toward the public, yeah, there's nothing out there like Twitter right now. And I think it would take Twitter essentially breaking and shutting down for something to fill that vacuum. Yeah, and I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, here's the perfect point. And I, I say this with total admiration. Our guy, Robert Seidman, who runs the At Sports TV ratings mm-hmm. Twitter feed. He has 37, more than 37,000 followers. Again, these are not all real followers in the same way however many followers I have are not all real followers. Like, understand that. The larger point is that guy has an audience, a significant one, and his expertise is sports viewership that is just an incredibly powerful platform to have for something that is incredibly niche. I mean, all three of us are in niche places. I, I'm not not putting my not putting my you know I'm putting myself in there too. But that's what's been amazing about Twitter is like you can find a Robert Seidman who has this expertise. You can find somebody who's like you know an expert on Hong Kong. You can find somebody who's like a disinformation expert. And yeah, you know, like you're saying, Austin, like I. If it breaks up, and I don't think it will break up, but like it, it cannot be duplicated. Like that, there, there's no way. Ten years from now, at least I don't think that there'd be. If let's say Twitter shut down, sh- went shut down tomorrow, I, I don't think like the equivalent would exist ten years from now. I think it would just be splintered into many different places, and we haven't even yeah. gotten into like the real importance of Twitter when it comes to like foreign governments and um and it's massive real world impact on what could happen in places that don't have the kind of uh, guardrails that like Canada and the United States have. 
I will totally agree that sports TV ratings is incredibly neat. Uh, I still think after all this time, I, I, after having explained for 15 plus years, uh, you know, what I cover, I, I, half of my friends still think that I just manage a fantasy football team all day. <laughs> well, nothing, uh, nothing wrong with that. I like giving Seidman a shout out because, you know, I need to keep his, uh, his download. It's important to me. All right. Is there anything else that, uh, Chad or Austin, is there anything else that, uh, you guys wanted to wax on that I didn't cover? We went 52 minutes, uh. On stuff today, I you know I was thinking about do we talk about Iger and Chapek, but the answer is no because we're going to be doing that down the road. Uh, it already feels <laughs> a little bit old. Um, you know, I, I wrote in the Athletic my quick thoughts. No, I don't think ESPN is going to be um, spun off. Yes, I do think streaming is going to be accelerated a little bit faster under Iger, and I don't think it's going to change anything in terms of ESPN's interest in the NBA college football playoffs and college sports rights. I mean, you know, Bob Iger rent. He better not cancel. Him, nah, I think he's going to stick with that. Puppy. <laughs> My well, question is, said that. like, yes. I think, do you think that Jimmy Pitaro has done a good enough job at the top of ESPN to potentially warrant the top job at Disney? That's the biggest uh, question. The one, great Ooh. question. And Iger is, I, you know, Pitaro sees Iger as a mentor. Um, they are very, very close. Uh, a guy would be obviously a very, very big time expert on this would be uh, our buddy Jim Miller. Um, who um, knows Pitaro very, very well, obviously has interviewed Iger before. Um, I think he is a candidate for the successing job, uh, yeah. successor job, Austin, I do. I don't honestly know enough about Disney and its corporate politics to have a better feel for like how significant he is. You know, the, the people who cover Disney for the Wall Street Journal, like Joe Flint and Brooke Barnes of the New York Times, they'll have a better feel. Uh, for this stuff, a million times better feel than I would. But I just think given his relationship with Iger and given that I think Disney sees um, ESPN's, um, the money that they bring in as a success, and given that he worked for Disney prior to his ESPN yeah. gig, I think he's, I don't know, if he was on the Vegas board, Austin, I would put him in I, as one of the top five guys. I would put him in the top three, yeah. Yeah, Ooh. interesting. Um, the interesting- Did put A-Rod on Disney? <laughs> Let me tell you what's interesting about this one, Chad and Austin. If Jimmy Pitaro somehow became the head of uh, Disney, what is it? Is it a chairman position or CEO? I never, I always forget. I think it's chairman. I think uh, uh, Iger's chairman. The real interesting question there for us is who would succeed Pitaro at ESPN? Ooh. That's the real interesting one. Burke Magnus, maybe pole position there? I'd, I'd probably put him in pole position. There's a lot, there's a long list of incredibly qualified internal candidates for that job. Yes, correct. Uh, that's why that one is interesting because um, because there are, yes, because I think there are a number of people within that universe who have done really good in like their silos yeah. that they could sort of make the case for um, for being the top, for having no. that top job. They have, they've, you know, if you want to compare it to a farm system, they have always continued to, uh, you know, cultivate incredibly good talent at all levels there. Yeah. Although I feel like Skipper intentionally did not necessarily groom a successor. Um, you know, Connor Shell probably had the, 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 like the number two role for a while, uh, but he wasn't groomed as well, Skipper's successor the, the, at all. The succession plan didn't exactly go down, probably like John was thinking yes, about it. Yes, correct. Well, he got fired. Yes, I know that. But I'm saying, like, <laughs> the question is, you know, again, this gets into like deep ESPN politics, and, you know, you can sort of do some digging around, obviously, to, uh, you know, to, to probably get the, 
senior management level sort of thought process on this, but I would say in having talked to Pataro a number of times, certainly having talked to Burke Magnus many, many times, this is, and again, this is my read, and I'll be very honest, I feel like someone like Orand would have, your buddy Orand, uh, Austin Karp, would have a better feel for this than me. It does feel that Jimmy Pataro has given Burke Magnus a lot of um, responsibility mm-hmm. and autonomy in the places that he has been very successful in the sports rights space. And that's what makes me, that's what would make me put him in the, the pole position spot if, if Pitaro ever left. Yeah. I, th- I don't think Burke has done anything but execute well for that company. Yeah. Now, the only thing I don't know, Chad, is like, and this is like where this goes above the SPN level, as you know, do the people at Disney like have their own candidates of people who are not working at ESPN? You know what I mean? And you bring some corporate type to to come in and run ESPN because that's such a that's such a uh, um, signature job, right? Such a sexy job that you would have so many people who'd want that job. Yeah, oh yeah, it's going to come from all sorts of uh, uh, different areas for potential candidates. But uh, I don't know. As being a as being an Iger uh, uh, mentee, the the way to go. I mean, the, the guy's replacing was sort of his. Yeah, I don't uh, know. It gets into the whole, you know, corporate uh, intrigue. Um, I will say this: it's not a job I would want uh, because I, I really, I would never want to be. Take the salary. Yeah, I, yes, I, obviously that would be awesome. I, I don't particularly love management as a general rule, and so I, it's not a job I would want. That said, I think if you love sports, the cachet of being of being able to sort of say that you're the president or the CEO of ESPN. You get to attend every major sporting event, particularly the ones that you own, right? You are having your ass kissed left and right. You can hire any – no, I'm just being blunt. Like that is true. You can hire anybody you want for like very, very glamorous positions. It, it would be an intox- – in many ways, it's an intoxicating job, which is why you hope that you have somebody who has the job who has their head on straight. Mm-hmm. But you know what I'm saying? Like there's – in the same way like – Everybody knows who John Henry is or um, everybody knows who Mark Cuban is like because they own the sports teams they do, but they don't know some billionaire walking down Fifth Avenue. You know what I mean? So that, like, that's the sexiness of it. It's like everybody knows you're the CEO of ESPN where let's say you're the CEO of some corn company. You're making a lot more money than Jimmy Pitaro. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's just not as sexy. That's why I think it's a, a very high-profile gig. People like corn, Richard. Right. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to knock the corn industry. Uh, corn people kiss your ass. If you, uh, I know if it's true. King of corn. Yeah, we're getting the politics. We'll see if Iowa is going to be the uh, uh, first uh, first state to hold the. Uh, Do we all have to uh, take GOP. the uh, the ethanol pledge on this podcast or what? Yeah, hey, you're welcome to. All right, listen. Austin Carp is um, is the. Let me get this right, Austin, because I always screw this up. Sports Business Journal managing editor slash digital. Chad Finn, Boston Globe sports media writer. You check out their work. Their respective publications. Follow them on Twitter because as of now, right, Monday, November 28th, <laughs> it still exists. I mean, I haven't checked Musk's feed at the moment, but, you know, last I checked, uh, it's still going on. I mean, no doubt he's – that dude's got some some tweets I may not always agree with, but still he is, you know, the the, the, the service remains. Um, and as long as it remains, my advice is to follow Austin Carp. And Chad Finn. Guys, we went an hour. This is very long for us, but I really enjoyed this, and we covered a lot of stuff. Thank you very much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Rich. It's a good hour.
All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Austin Chad. It's always fun uh, to uh, catch up with them. Uh, you know, I, I, no doubt I ramble on those, but uh, we're not in the same place, so it's a little tricky to uh, sort of navigate. But uh, but hopefully you guys appreciated that, and I always uh, I always appreciate their time. If you like these kind of uh, conversations, please leave us a five star review and a nice note. Happy to read those notes uh, on air. Um, got a couple of. Uh, 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 really nice ones. Uh, thank you, uh, Thomas8366 from uh, iTunes. Listen every week. Very informative, Rich. Rich lets the guests be themselves. Highly recommend the spot. Awesome. Um, Lolo13419, taking a big shot at Adnan. Not Burke, but Jerk. I don't know how you can't like Adnan. Uh, Lolo13419. He really is a very, very nice guy in, uh, in life. But thank you for listening uh, to the pod. And, uh, Appreciate, uh, appreciate that. Um, head to the archives, um, and uh, you should hopefully find some stuff uh, that will be interesting to you. Last uh, one we did before this was How to Create a Popular Studio Show, a conversation with ESPN NFL Live producers Lydell King and Mark Eisman, Candace Parker, the uh, Hall of Fame basketball player, and also the excellent game and studio analyst on NBA and TNT and NBA TV. She was a guest on this podcast as well. Uh, we did uh, The World of Documentaries with Deirdre Fenton of Meadowlark Media. Jeff Perlman and Grant Wall were on this podcast recently uh, to talk about their work. Ad- Adam Amin and Adnan Burke for a great conversation with those guys. Uh, Jamil Hill's memoir was the uh, subject of this. And as the uh, we talked about this, you can go back to the archives, listen to Bob Costas or Jimmy Guitaro, uh, Joe Buck and Scully. So back over the last couple of months. We've had some pretty good guests here. I want to thank everybody at Cage 13 for all their support and hard work. Of course, thanks to Patrick Antonetti. Podcast could not exist without him, and I appreciate him very much. And thank you, of course, for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.